This podcast is brought to you by Touch a Life. Welcome to Business Influencers. Hope everyone is having a great week. Uh, we are so excited, as always. Thank you so much for all the people that have tuned in each and every week as the show continues to grow. Again, we recently just went over 50 episodes uh, this month, and we are so excited to keep now moving into the next year where we're going to continue to bring subject matter experts sharing their words of wisdom and insights, and more importantly, their experiences to take your business and personal success to the next level. Now, just know we're not just about business, but we're also about experience because a lot of times those life experiences can really teach us a lot of valuable things and how we can go about relating to others in, in business and also creating new opportunities as a result of that. Today's show is being brought to you today by Alumni Direct. Alumni Direct is a new social media community platform dedicated to bringing alumni together from all different generational types, an opportunity to rekindle old relationships or perhaps meet new people for the first time. This is a great place where it takes all the noise out of social media so you're not getting bombarded with all those notifications. Why? Because it is a membership program. Yes, you have to pay, but it's very mo modest fee that you pay each year to cut out all the noise. And again, you get access to a wide array of different services that you would normally not have available otherwise. Check them out at alumnidirect.com. That's alumnidirect.com. Well, I am so pleased to be talking about this topic today, uh, keep moving the chains. And I had the opportunity and the gift to talk to this young man who is going to, I'm going to mention here shortly as he comes on to share his story with us, because it was so powerful and how this, how he overcame this challenge that most people would never experience in a lifetime and how he was able to turn this into a blessing that continues to serve and give the, the gift of giving each and every day to others that he's inspired, not only in the business world, but just in life in general. And uh, the person we're gonna be talking to today is Mac McGinnis. And before I introduce Mac, I'm gonna give you a little background about, from him. He's originally from Chicago, Illinois. He had lived in San Francisco and then recently moved to Austin, Texas. He went to the University of Missouri, graduated in 2016 with a degree in health sciences and a dual minor in business and, and psychology. He just turned 28 years old recently this past August. He has three siblings, an older sister, two younger brothers, and about 78 cousins. Wow, all on one side of the family. Well, you're gonna hear a powerful story from Mac here today, but before we do so, let's give it a warm welcome to Mac McGinnis. Mac, how you doing today? Good, great, thanks Christopher. That was, a, that was an amazing intro, I appreciate it. Thank you, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. We are so blessed to have you here today, and thank you so much for being here. As I, as I mentioned to the audience listening and those that will be listening later, you you know, you know had an opportunity to share this powerful story with us. And when we talk about this theme, keep moving the chains, you know, that life is going to happen regardless if we go with it or we resist it. It's going to go anyway. So it's either going, you're going to go with the flow or it's going to whip you around and, you know, and, 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 and there's no way you're going to stop it if that, if you keep resisting it. I'd like you to kind of just open up, Mac, if you can, to kind of talk about this concept of keep moving the chains by sharing your story of like where you were prior to an incident that you went through, what you went through, and how this really changed your life 
for now, you know, looking in hindsight for the better that allowed you to keep moving the change in your life, in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so, you know, when you asked me what the title, what I wanted to title the show, I said, keep moving the chains. And there's a reason behind that. Um, obviously, you know, you mentioned the large family and everything. So I come from a long line of, uh, you know, football coaches, athletes, policemen, firemen. And uh, one thing that we kind of keep in common in the McGinnis family is that, you know, no matter how bad things are, you know, you as long as you face them head on, you give it 100% everything, you just keep moving the chains. Turns out everything's going to be all right, nine times out of 10. So uh, that's kind of where I came, uh, I got the idea from it. Uh, but to give a little context to the story. So it was about 2017. Uh, I was about 23 years old. I had just recently moved to San Francisco, California. Um, I was working for an IT company down in San Jose and we, uh, a couple of my buddies had come, came like to come visit. And so what we were planning on doing was, uh, attending a music festival up at Lake Tahoe during the winter called snow globe. Um, so we headed up there day early cause we were super excited. It was like a three day festival. We had a Airbnb and everything. Uh, but we decided we wanted to go skiing and snowboarding. So we, uh, we actually got up there a day early. And on the way up there, we noticed that, you know, there was a winter ice advisory. So, uh, you know, we kind of figured the conditions would be a little slick, but then that night it snowed about a foot and a half. So we got kind of thought, you know, everything was going to be okay. Um, so the next morning, you know, typical morning, eat breakfast. We're at the mountain by 6 AM, ready to get on the ski lift by seven, get on the ski lift. We're the first people on the ski lift. We're so excited to be there. The views are amazing. The mount, the sun hasn't even come out behind the mountains yet. And uh, so we're the first people to get to the top of the mountain. And, uh, you know, I've been skiing for several years prior to this. Uh, so it was nothing new to me. And uh, the friends that I was with, um, you know, both traveled, li one lived in Colorado and the other one traveled to Colorado every year to go snowboarding. Uh, so we were like pretty experienced. Um, so when we got to the top of the mountain, we figured it would be a good idea to uh, go down the backside because um, we like to do the off the trail stuff. Uh, but we realized that it was chained off and we just figured, oh, you know, you know, there was that ice advisory probably wasn't that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, let's go ahead and do it anyways. So we started going down the backside of the mountain um, and it's about a 70 degree drop, um, you know, a little little insane. Some people would call it a little crazy. But uh, as we're going down, you know, everything's going fine. It's fresh powder. And uh, we jump off this like small cliff and I land and I, I'm way ahead of my buddies and I start going in and out of trees. Now, I mentioned that the sun had yet to come over to the, the top of the mountain. So it didn't melt any of the ice that was underneath the trees. And so what happened was I ended up turning to my right side to avoid a tree and I went underneath it and I actually ended up hitting the tree going about 45 miles an hour. Um, funny enough, I was wearing an evil Knievel snowsuit, <laughs> so it's pretty easy to spot. Uh, but uh, the injuries I sustained were pretty, pretty sub substantial. Uh, I was not wearing a helmet, unfortunately. Um, so I actually ended up fracturing my skull. I have a brachial plexus injury to my right side, which means that I tore uh, the nerves from my spinal cord. So instantly my right arm was paralyzed. Uh, I broke my back in three spots. I and I apologize if this is a little graphic, um, but I oh, also- please, so don't hold back. Okay, perfect. So I also broke uh, every single rib. My ribs went through my lungs. So, um, you know, my lungs were deflating. I hit the tree so hard that all my internal organs actually shifted to the left side. Uh, and after that happened, I still remember hitting the tree and 
I remember getting up and I my, my adrenaline was pumping and I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know how bad it was. So I actually ended up putting my skis back on, <laughs> and uh, which I don't, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And uh, I made it out to a clearing and I turned around and I, I just remember having trouble breathing and I turned around and I see my buddies. And I remember the last thing I thought in my head was, okay, like you can die now. And that was pretty much it for me. Um, you know, it was uh, thankfully, actually lucky enough, ski patrol was right behind us there in the, the chairlifts right behind us. So they had actually followed us down because they probably knew that we were going to be in some sort of trouble. Uh, when my friends got up to me, I was barely breathing. When ski patrol got up to me, they checked my pulse. They cut open my bodysuit. My body was about three times the size it normally should have been. And uh, they pretty much declared me dead. Um, now, while all that was going on, when we jumped off the cliff, uh, we knocked a boulder loose and the boulder was coming right from my head. And what happened was ski patrol said, you know, he's he passed away. There's nothing we could do. Everyone get out of the way. We don't want anybody else getting hurt. Thankfully, one of my best friends took out his uh, his snow, his snow boot from the ski, stomped it in front of my head and the boot actually hit off his ankle, injured his ankle pretty significantly. And then actually, as the, the boulder completely cleared my body, I uh, I regained consciousness and I, I remember taking a big, deep breath in. And I'm like, my name is Mac McGinnis. I'm 23 years old. And I'm sure at this point I was like barely speaking, but uh, ski patrol was like shocked. They didn't know what to do. So they ended up calling in a helicopter. A helicopter came in, picked me up, uh, flew me about 15 minutes to renowned hospital in Reno, Nevada, because that's the the closest trauma uh, center um, pretty much, you know, in, in Northern California. And from that point on, I was in a coma for about a month and a half. Um, so they gave me a 1% chance to live. Uh, they said that if I did live, I'd probably have a 5% chance of removing my right arm again. Um, and throughout the entire thing, you know, it was, it was very touch and go. Um, I actually ended up dying four times on, on the table, uh, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, but you know, something pretty amazing happens when you're in a coma like that. Um, you tend to, and I, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but it, it was my experience for sure. You associate your dreams like with the people that are around you. So, you know, I mentioned I died four times. Well, I had four different dreams and we figured this out way later, but all those dreams were associated with the people that were in the room with me at the time. Cause no, no matter like what time it was, any given day of the week, I had family, cousins, aunts, uncles, um, siblings, you name it out there visiting me, staying with me, you know, just keeping me company, even though I was asleep. Uh, but I heard their voices. And so I'd associate all these dreams with uh, with the people that were around me. And so every time I'd flatline and they bring me back, the dream would just end. And then a new dream would start. And the dreams would start the same exact way every time. I'd be laying on my back and I would sit up and I'd have to like figure out my surroundings and everything. Um, well, then it came time towards the beginning of the new year where they were pretty positive that I was going to die. I, I just flatlined for the for the third time. Um, and what happened was they basically came out to my family and they said, you know, he's probably not going to make it. His lungs are deflated. Uh, he's got pneumonia in both lungs. He's probably going to pass away around midnight. Um, so, you know, I was raised Catholic um, and my family actually was all there. 
And what they did was they reached out to the uh, priest that baptized me and he actually led, read me my last rites over the phone. And so sure enough, at like 11.59.59 or something like that, something pretty close to that, uh, I flatlined for the last time. And I mean, while this all of this was going on, you know, my family was there talking to the nurses every single day, getting them coffee. So like at this point, the nurses were family. And there was this one nurse that, you know, just in her mind, just stuck out to her. She's like, this is not how this is supposed to end. There's there's no way that this is supposed to like end like this. So unbeknownst to the doctor, she went in there and she ended up paddling me around 27 times until she finally got a heartbeat. And uh, the doctor scolded her for it, um, said that she was prolonging the inevitable. Uh, and at this point, you know, it was kind of, you know, not morally correct to, to go about the way she, that she was doing things. But she had been doing her research on the back end and she actually found a medical journal from 2012, I believe it was, from some person in Miami uh, that got into a motorcycle accident that had very similar, um, you know, respiratory issues and everything like that. And she figured out that there's a surgery that could be done that take about 12 hours and it's where they would flip me over during certain hours of the night because what happened what's happening was i was drowning from the inside out there was no yeah. way to get the liquid out of my my lungs uh which sounds like a terrible way to go <laughs> and oh, i am sure, sure, awful sure glad that didn't happen so she brought it to the attention of the doctor and the doctor was like yeah, i've never done this surgery i've never heard of it there's you know i'm not going to do it and she was so hell-bent on saving my life that she said right then and there, she goes, if you don't do this, I will quit. And this is renowned hospital in Reno, Nevada. So uh, shout out to B, that that nurse is amazing. Um, she, uh, she actually um, ended up convincing the doctor because, you know, they were already short-staffed and if she quit, you know, it, it would be a lot of trouble for a lot of people. So the doctor finally gave in and he goes, you know, you have to read this medical journal while we're in surgery because I don't know what I'm doing. And she goes, that's fine. I can totally do that. So as they're doing the surgery, you know, everything is going according to plan. I, th I think I flatlined one more time, but she was able to bring me back again. And uh, at about hour six, about halfway through the surgery, she came in and uh, as she was reading the medical journal, realized that she had to pay for the rest of the medical journal that she was reading. So she didn't even read all the way through it. Uh, and it was a long shot. And she ended up running out of the emergency room, ran to her, her locker, uh, grabbed her credit card, scrubbed back in, came in, paid for the rest of the medical journal and ended up saving my life. And uh, after that happened, you know, my the, the following two days after my chances went from 1% to making it to being alive to 25 and then the next day it was 50 and then the day after that it was 75 and uh while that was going on you know my family was you know super happy and everything seemed like it was going to be working out and uh so then came to the day where they were going to wake me up out of the coma because i was on fentanyl morphine and dilaudid to keep me in a medically induced coma uh but one thing i want to touch back on is when i flatlined for the last time you know how i mentioned every dream that I had was associated with somebody around me. Yeah. So the last dream I had, uh, I actually woke up on a beach and this was all brand new. I, I this was new to me. I, this isn't what I was used to dreaming about. And I looked to my right and I don't see anybody. And I looked to my left and about a hundred yards away, there's a lady standing right where the water meets the sand. 
and she's standing underneath the palm tree, the only tree on the island like that I can remember. And she's standing underneath the shade. And I like look at it and I go, hmm, that's that's weird. Teal hat, teal dress. I've seen this before. I just I just can't put my I can't put my finger on it. I don't know where where I've seen this. And then so I get up, I wipe the sand off my shoulders and my elbows, and this is how well I remember this. And I start walking to her, and as I'm getting closer, I'm like, teal hat, teal dress. I've seen this before. And as I get about 20 yards away, I go, oh my God, that's my grandma Jean that died about 10 years ago uh, prior to the accident. So I get up to her and I grab her elbow and I go, grandma Jean. And she, she turns to me and she smiles. She doesn't say a word. She's just got one tear going down her eye. She puts her arm on my shoulder and she goes, Mac, it's time for you to wake up. You gotta go back. And um, since I was on all these drugs, they told my family that it would take roughly around 72 hours for me to wake up or, you know, even realize like, you know, that I'm alive. Uh, so they actually send my family back to Chicago so they could regroup. And they're like, by the time you get back to Reno, you know, he'll be awake and you'll be able to talk to him. Um, but, you know, I had ventilators coming out of my neck, so I couldn't talk or anything like that. Uh, but it was a step in the right direction. So my family goes to Reno Regional Airport and uh about two hours later right before their flight they get a call from actually the nurse's husband at the time that uh i'd waken up and i woke up two hours after they initially started the process of waking me up which they have never seen anything like that before and i also wanted to uh to be known that the the medical journal that the the nurse found she actually uh that medical practice is called putting people in the prone position and i think i was like one of the first patients in the united states to get it done since 2012 and now it's actually the most common practice for covid patients uh in the united states and in the world and it's been saving lives ever since wow. so that's just another amazing part yeah and uh i remember when i woke up i I had the news on in my room. There was, you know, endless cards. There was a, you know, a GoFundMe and all that stuff, all that good stuff. You know, over 2000 people donated people that I don't even know, um, which was absolutely amazing. And then uh, I remember opening up my eyes and having a button in my right, in my left hand. I, I kicked my legs first because I was like, all right, you can kick your legs. You're kind of you can move them. So you're fine. Look to my right hand, I go, all right, that's not moving, but we'll worry about that later. And then there's a button in my left hand. So before I press the button, uh, the, the the news guy goes, yeah, it's January 21st, 2018. So I woke up in a new year um, and I was like, all right, well, last time I remember it was December 27th, 2017. So it's been some time. Um, and then uh, I hit the button and this nurse comes flying in and he's just screaming, Mac, you're awake, you're awake. And all I remember is thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm awake, but, uh, you know, uh, I kind of got a really bad headache. So can can you lower your voice? But obviously I couldn't say that and I, <laughs> I won't say. Um, but then obviously after that, you know, it was a long road to recovery. Uh, one of the hardest parts was them actually taking out the breathing tube because uh, they only had one um, speech like speech pathologist, uh, I believe is like their title, where when they take out a, a breathing tube, you know, you're left with a scar and a hole in your neck, essentially, and they, they need to put it in a piece. So what happened was they took out the tube and uh, she made this like she 3D printed this piece so I'd be able to talk. 
But before that, I had to breathe on my own for 12 hours. So I did that, which was incredibly hard, just staring at the ceiling, not being able to talk, not being able to drink, just focusing on purely on breathing. And she only works one day a week. So if this didn't work, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to talk for another week and then I'd have to do the same process over again. So she puts in the piece and sure enough, it doesn't fit. Um, I start turning blue in the face and they're like, all right, enough. Uh, you know, he's, he's gotta go back on the ventilator. So I'm obviously frustrated, um, but you know, I can't talk and my family doesn't really know like what expressions I'm, you know, trying to put out there or anything like that. So um, oddly enough, she comes in the next day and she goes, my husband's a speech, speech pathologist and you know, I couldn't get this out of my brain and we talked about it all night. And she's like, I ended up making a totally new piece. She comes in the next morning and uh, she goes, let's give it a shot. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So they put it in my entire family sitting in the room and you could just feel like the amount of stress because they don't know if I have brain damage or anything like that. And she puts in the piece and she goes, say, ah, and I go, ah, and part of my French here, I go, holy shit, I can talk. <laughs> and at that moment, you could just feel the, the biggest sigh of release, like relief coming out of my family, out of the doctors, you know, everybody in the room. And uh, my dad looked at me and he goes, yeah, that's that's our son. He's he's back to normal. Um, and then after that, it was it was just a matter of, you know, learning how to walk again, which uh, another thing I got incredibly lucky by was that my uncle actually had dated uh, a lady that was now living in San Francisco. Uh, and she was like the director of Sutter Health Hospital in San Francisco, where they specialize in, you know, trauma um patients and everything like that and she found my story out through facebook hadn't talked to my uncle since high school and um she reached out and was like hey we got a bed for him like get him down here we'll look, teach him how to walk again you know and everything so that was just another fortunate part uh of this entire story that you know at the end of the day it was all about moving the chains um my uncle likes to reference the uh the challenger i think it was the apollo 13 or the challenger 13 i can't remember which one the name of the spacecraft but he was like if you look at it you know they needed a million things to go right and they were on step one and i looked at it like the same way you know everything was going on with me i had the same same mindset you know i need a million things to go right and i'm on step one but just because i'm on step one doesn't mean i'm not going to get to that million step and I know I'm still not at that million step, but it's all about the journey. And uh, someone also said to me, you know, everyone's got two lives, but the second one begins when you realize you only got one. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's an incredibly powerful message. And uh, so, you know, I figured coming on this show and, you know, sharing the story and being able to, you know, I'm 28 years old now. I work full time. Um, I, I've worked at three different companies so far. I've moved around a bunch uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that every single day I wake up, I, I get to see the sun shining and no matter how bad my day is, I know that tomorrow's gonna start and I'm gonna be there to see that sunrise and I'm gonna be there to see it set. And there's nothing that's really gonna be able to stop me from, uh, from doing that. And um, so, you know, I guess the, the main point of this whole message to bring this whole thing home is just that if, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I don't want people to look at me and, you know, be like, you know, you went through, it's amazing. You got through all these challenges and all that stuff, but you know, I didn't do it alone. I, I had, you know, an amazing support system and it took me a long time to realize that, uh, I wasn't in it alone. Um, and I was reminded of it constantly, but you know, 
it, it feels like, you know, there's, there's weight on your shoulders and you stop doing things for yourself and you start doing things for other people. And that's really what I want to convey here. And, you know, even though everybody is going to have dark times and, you know, you might not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, just know that the light is at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes you got to stare in the darkness to get to it. And uh, that's what it's all about. And that's how you keep moving the change. You just put one foot in front of the other and you keep on moving. Well, Mac, I can't thank you enough. Your, your story is so moving and so powerful and such a gift and a blessing that you can give to other people that maybe have not gone through what you went through, but now they can see that, you know, my life isn't as bad as I thought. I mean, you've turned something that you could, you know, you've almost died four times as a result of it. You became a textbook case, a medical textbook case as a result of it. And it's that, it's the, your humbleness and your gratitude and your appreciation for the little things in life that really move, that you keep moving the chains forward. And no matter what happens in business, in our in our in our economy, in our in our personal lives, our our well-being, there are going to be things that we can control and things that we cannot control. And you found a way to focus on the things that you can and do and go with the flow and adapt to what you have to do to make something out of your life. I can't thank you enough for for be you know gracious us here sharing your powerful story with us. Thank you. Absolutely, Christopher, and th thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. It's been uh, an honor, and um, I'm excited to share this story with other people. Um, and uh, if anybody would like to reach out to me, you know, my LinkedIn's on. Uh, it's Mac McGinnis. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and then also I could be found uh, through my Gmail, which is jmcginnis84 at gmail.com. Um, so if anybody listening to this wants to reach out, I'm always open to have a discussion. You know, always here to. You'd rather be the person everybody leans on than you know be the person that sits in the corner and wallows. So I, I chose to be the rock, and I'm going to continue to be that. Well, you are keeping the moving the change. You're a prime example, and thank you. Continue to keep being the example and to be a resource to inspire people to do the same. Thank you so much, Mac, for being here. And we highly encourage everybody get to know Mac. Reach out to him on LinkedIn. Reach out to him at his Gmail address. And again, if any of you are within a company, an event or a charity event, whatever that may be, get to know Mac. His story can really help move the chains, not only with your audience, but also make an impact for people actually to do something in their lives so that they actually walk away with something as a result of that. Reach out to Mac. We highly encourage it and we endorse it. And again, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us here at business influencers. Again, we are so grateful for everything where the show is going, and we will continue to bring in people like Mac in that operate from core values and share from the heart and from their experience, helping you to do the same and whatever that means to you. Till then, everybody, have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next week. You have just listened to Tall Radio Podcast. For more podcasts, visit www.touchalife.org.